This is the North Georgia Life Podcast. Embrace life where you live. Welcome back to the North Georgia Life Podcast. My name is Jake, and we've got a pretty neat episode for you today. Uh, We are speaking with Inspire Outreach. They are headquartered in Lawrenceville, Georgia, but they are a ministry and an outreach that serves all over the the Southeast uh, and is targeted towards victims of domestic violence and uh, those who are in a state of homelessness. So uh, it is a... uh, uh, maybe a, a, a subset of an outreach that a lot of us are probably not familiar with in our area, uh, but it is all over the place, uh, even in the North Georgia region. So we hope it is uh, educational. We hope it is inspiring. And we hope that if this is something that kind of tugs at your heartstrings, that you'll get involved in uh, in their, their outreach and their programs. There is a place for all of us in helping our community. And if this is for you, we want to give you access and an inside scoop to uh, what it is and what they do and how you may be able to help. We hope you enjoy. Again, to find out more information about us, you can uh, visit Facebook. Uh, just look up North Georgia Life Podcast on Facebook, Instagram as well. Or if you want to email us, you can reach us at North Georgia Life Podcast at gmail.com. So that, as a way of introduction, we'll get right to it. Welcome to the North Georgia Life Podcast. Uh, We have a special episode for you today. I'm here with Greg Kennard, who is the Executive Director of Inspire, and uh, here in Lawrenceville, Georgia. They serve the the surrounding area, uh, not just specifically Lawrenceville, Um, but there's a, a great need in our area that a lot of us are just, frankly, kind of blind to. Uh, we're unaware of. And uh, so we're going to talk with Greg a little bit today about what that is and uh, how, how we can help. So Greg, welcome. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for being on. Uh, so the, the mission that you have for uh, your organization is, is effectively helping people out of homelessness. Right. And that's, we have, that's the big picture. Sure. The church organization uh, that I'm also the pastor of is called Inspire Outreach, which is also the name of the transitional program to end homelessness. We have a second program called Hope for Domestic Violence. It's not Hope House, but it's Hope for Domestic Violence that specifically works with families, moms, and children who are coming from abusive situations. Mm -hmm. It's a transitional program similar to the Inspire program, but two different nuances. Yeah, yeah, okay. Go back in time a little bit. Uh, Where are you from? How did you find yourself in Lawrenceville? I know this wasn't an, you didn't come to Lawrenceville for this specifically, but how did you how did you get into where you're at now? Sure. Well, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, back in 66, down at Crawford Long Hospital. But I grew up here in Gwinnett County on the Stone Mountain Lilburn side at that mm-hmm. time. I went to Parkview High School. Uh, after school, I got into ministry, went to Bible College, and started working for churches. Made a, a few treks throughout the south part of uh, Georgia, worked mm-hmm. in Macon, Columbus, Valdosta. But in 1999, my family and I came back to Gwinnett to found the church that's now known as Inspire Outreach. So we just celebrated our 20-year anniversary. Wow! Congratulations! Uh, that's, thank you. And you've seen you've seen this area change a little bit, huh? Absolutely. The the Gwinnett that I see before me it's a beautiful tapestry of humanity that really wasn't the way it was when I was growing up. But it's I love the diversity and what we've become. Yeah. 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 And there's not as many dirt roads nowadays no. as there used to be. 
No, where you're from, Flowery Branch, that yeah. was like a, a day trip yep. back in the day. <laughs> anything above Swanee was like way out in the woods. So you came back. Was there anything in the um, in your kind of journeys where you were like, I need to kind of plug back into where I came from, and this is what part of what I feel you know my calling on life is not uh, just from a ministry perspective, but just from a uh, greater community perspective. Yeah, you know, it's hard to really define calling, that voice, but it felt like we should come to Gwinnett, which happened to be my, my home, mm-hmm. and, and start this new church uh, with kind of um, a different kind of mission that I, we felt like was more organic mm-hmm. to the Gospels and to the heart of Jesus' teaching, which was reaching out to the marginalized and... Um, those who are disenfranchised, those in need. So that's really mm-hmm. been the mission of our church. Jesus told the parable about uh, the shepherd who had 100 sheep. One uh, one got lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of what our mission has been, not focusing on the 99, but on the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that uh, that caught me when I when I was looking through your, your website uh, was you talk about a uh, helping people out of a perpetual state of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that and just maybe some of the uh, misconceptions that people who have never had any, they don't know anybody that's homeless. The only people they see that might be homeless are the people on the side of the highway, you know, when they pull up to an intersection. You see it firsthand in your office. Talk a little bit about that. If you do this kind of work um, seriously with awareness and for any length of time, you're going to start running into patterns. Mm -hmm. And so you start seeing, you know, there there certainly are some, there's some variety to people's situation. Not every situation is exactly the same, but you certainly see uh, patterns. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I have come to understand is that poverty is not only behavioral, but it's structural. Mm. So there are certain conditions in our communities that actually create pockets of poverty. Dr. King said that true compassion is not just flinging a coin at a beggar, but it comes to understand that a system that creates beggars Mm. needs to be reimagined and restructured. So when you start looking into poverty, you start seeing this intersectionality of a lot of different um, dynamics. One is low academic achievement. Mm -hmm. One is addiction. One is mental health. And all of these tend to lead to some kind of crime uh, rate and a criminal record. Mm-hmm. So a typical client for us um, is in their 40s. They have low academic achievement. Maybe they need their GED. Uh, they have spent time incarcerated. Most of the times they do have a felony offense. And usually there's addiction involved with an underlying uh, root cause being a mental health diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mental health is, is something that is uh, an increasingly see it on the news where 10 years ago nobody was talking about mental health, you know, as pervasive as it is now. Uh, have you seen it in the time you've, you've been here? Has it been more pronounced? Have you always seen it? Uh, when you say mental health in the, con- in the environment that, that we're talking about and homelessness, um, what, is, what, can you, sure. what does that look like? People who live in impoverished circumstances they're going through traumatic events. Uh, They're probably in a low-income area Mm -hmm. where there's a higher crime rate, so they have seen 
violence and they have experienced a lot of trauma and abuse. Mm-hmm. So your your mind just naturally reacts to that. It's not unaffected when yeah. it experiences these things. So if anybody's spent time on the streets or in homelessness, it's just about a certainty mm-hmm. that they have acquired some kind of mental health diagnosis. They're just psychological yeah, injury. Yeah, just like a mental scarring. It's a psychological yeah. injury due from the trauma that they've experienced. So I'm glad we're spotlighting it more these days, mm-hmm. and that certainly is helpful. And uh, mental health treatment is more common and pervasive and accessible than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And we're happy because that's really one of the linchpins of us helping people get back on their feet is uh, counseling, treatment, therapy, and when necessary, medication. Yeah. Okay. You came back to Gwinnett. Was there a, a marking moment where you said, you know what, really, we're really going to go after the, the homeless population. And then, you know what, we're, we see domestic violence as a, as a real issue in our community. So we're going to go after uh, trying to be uh, a, a positive element of change in this environment. Was Well, like I said, uh, from the genesis of our church organization, we had a mindset of being Good Samaritans, of taking Matthew 25 very, very seriously. I was hungry and you fed me. Mm. Naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was a stranger and you took me in. We we took that very seriously. And um, we are in Gwinnett, but we actually have a footprint all over the southeast. The Inspire Outreach program is in Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, Mississippi Um, but our headquarters is here uh, in Lawrenceville so of course we draw a lot of Gwinnett uh, interest Mm -hmm. but all over the metropolitan area we're getting referrals so we serve really the broader city metropolitan area of the state and the southeast okay Okay. but there is uh, there's certainly plenty of need here in Gwinnett we were were talking before we uh, started the the way that uh, that I had uh, come across this organization somewhere at some point in time uh, somebody dropped something off in in the mail or in a mailbox um, and we had some stuff you know to to donate just you know kind of home goods and and uh, and clothes and things like that and we've probably been doing this for a couple years now and then we started the podcast I'm like I don't know a whole lot about, about yeah. these guys other than, than what I knew at that point. And then I started looking in, and I'm like, we got to get these guys on. And uh, we're thankful to have you. From a funding perspective, is, is a church fund everything you do? Do you have uh, annual events, community events that are, are fundraising legs of, mm-hmm. of what you do? Because obviously you've right. got to have trained professionals to really help people get out of the, the, the mindset and some of the – um, physical issues that they're dealing with, so you can't yeah. just pay minimum wage for people. Right. So uh, we are a church, so we certainly have offerings, and then we have private donations. We secure a few foundational grants here and there. But then a, a big, at least a third of our income is coming from the clothing drive itself. When people donate goods to us, there's one of four things that happens. One is all of our clients get wardrobes, the Household items that come in, uh, they furnish our residences that our clients live in. Secondly, we go down to the inner city and we hand out clothes at at our inner city outreaches where we're ministering to homeless individuals on the street. When people call in from the community in need of clothes, they have access to those donated clothes. And then fourthly, we, like a number of organizations, 
we partner with a thrift organization mm-hmm. to sell the bulk of the clothing that we don't have a direct need for mm-hmm. that creates an income stream. Right. Uh, for instance, you know, just the residential cost of about 80 folks that we're mm-hmm. housing right now is upwards of $300,000 a year. Well, the sale of those clothes that we, after we have all our direct usages, it helps subsidize that cost and many other costs, counseling, transportation, continued education. Uh, it costs about a million dollars a year to run wow. this organization. Wow. And uh, when you when you started this and you're like, we're going to take on homelessness, was was the plan to have a like a transitional housing facility or, or, or property and then how has that grown to now having 80 people that you're right helping you know there's a lot of different ideas about how to facilitate a, a residential program one model is where you build your own residential center mm-hmm. and everybody is kind of um, in one place there is some thought that uh, more of a scattered housing is a better model. Um, we kind of do both and. We lease a lot of apartments, lease homes, and um, then our clients are the occupants of that, mm-hmm. of that housing. We do have on our vision board uh, maybe a multi-purpose property at some point where mm-hmm. we have significant housing and it's kind of a live, work, play place where everything's under yeah. on one piece of property. But we're still filling that out to see if that's the right move for us. Okay. But if somebody wanted to come stroke a big check to move that thing along, you guys would yeah, figure out something. Yeah, that's inspired spell with an N N S P I R E outreach. So you've been doing this for, for quite a while. Um, from a perspective of uh, experiential wisdom, somebody, you know, somebody that's had a successful working career but, you know, really feels like their heart's being tugged on to, to address um, a different issue in our community. What, what words of, of counsel or wisdom uh, from your experience would you say to them just kind of getting getting started on something like that? Yeah, well, there's organizations all around us that directly answer a multitude of needs. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you just feel in your heart what, what the need that you feel most affinity with and just make a call to an organization that's addressing that issue there's any number of ways to donate, volunteer, mm-hmm. and all the organizations that I'm aware of, they, they would love any assistance. And, yeah. you know, you just got to start doing it. Yeah. You got to get, get out of the sidelines to the front lines, and mm-hmm. it's really just a matter of getting involved. See, the, the power, I think, of Matthew 25, when it says, I was hungry and you fed me, I was a stranger and you took me in, I was in prison and you visited me, is getting proximity to the issues. Mm-hmm. Because things look a lot differently uh, from the distance, yep. and you can make assessments and judgments. But once you get up close and personal and you get proximity to the, it, it changes your paradigm. It probably shapes your opinions about it. Mm. All of a sudden, this isn't a statistic. This is a human being right. with a name and a story, and um, it, it will change your life. What's, what's the best part of, of what you do? Yeah, I, you know, it's there's so many things from start to finish in this process. I could point to someone becoming a homeowner after being homelessness, mm. but someone kind of traveling that journey, and that's happened over and over. Uh, someone getting back on their feet, getting back in school, getting that certification, diploma, degree. And just a year ago, they were under a bridge. Wow. And now they're in line for a good-paying job because mm-hmm. they c- continue their education. Uh, but what's always been 
and never ceases to give me this feeling is just the day that I can do interviews and people are coming in, they're coming from the bridge, outdoors, they're coming from incarceration. Many times people are literally showing up shackled, escorted by the sheriff because mm. they're, they're, they're locked up and if they get placed here, the judge will release them to us. Mm. Or a mental health facility or an addiction rehab uh, organization that every Tuesday this room is basically filled with people trying to get into our program. Mm. So it's it's bittersweet because we certainly turn away more than we accept mm -hmm. just because of capacity. Yeah. But the days that we accept new people in and they're here and they're desperate and they're wanting this so bad and you give them that green light and mm -hmm. say, you're in, boy, and in 24 hours. I mean, they walk into our place, we take them to an apartment, we give them a key, we get them to the grocery store, they pick out whatever food they want, they see a counselor within 48 hours, they're getting to workouts for our personal training, they're starting job training. So that first few days is just a dramatic mm -hmm. before and after story, and mm -hmm. you just really never get over that. That always leaves me breathless. Yeah. Is there, I hate to use the word poster child in this context, but is there somebody that has been um, kind of your... Uh, your your spokes point for uh, or spokesperson uh, for for pointing out, you know, how far someone has gone after coming through your program. There's not any one person. There's hundreds. Mm. Okay, so I think of Harvey, who was released uh, from Gwinnett County Correction. He was here about four years ago. Spent a year plus with us. Uh, got back on his feet. Worked for us, then secured another job at Home Depot, then moved on to another bigger, better company. On the side, he's doing his own car detailing business, but um, then he went through this program to become a homeowner. So you're mm. literally seeing someone who came in with nothing. I mean, nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing. Sit, sitting in a chair in there, just starting, and within a couple of years, owns his own home. Mm -hmm. That's one. Then you see people who have... Um, completed even a four-year degree. Some of our moms who are coming from domestic violence, mm -hmm. we help them just reinvent themselves, redefine themselves. Mm -hmm. Education is one of those ways to really empower somebody. Yeah. So um, we've seen that over and over, someone getting their cosmetology degree, starting mm -hmm. a career uh, at a beauty salon or starting their own business. Um, people buying cars, saving money. I mean, we have a financial literacy program and a savings program. And we have 40 people in that savings program right now that it represents about $130,000 collectively that they've saved. So mm -hmm. they're saving thousands of dollars and learning how to manage money. So that, that's just one of the practical yeah. tools. Yes. If we're going to end homelessness, yes. we have to have a stable income yeah. and stable money management. Yeah, that's, that is fantastic. Talk a little bit about the, the domestic violence uh, situation. I, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're probably... Uh, well-versed in just statistics for our area, uh, but for people who have, you know, frankly never been around or maybe ever been in touch with who has um, experienced domestic violence, can you share a little bit about yeah. uh, how common it is in, in our in our area? Yeah. You, you likely know someone who is experiencing it. Mm -hmm. They may not have told you mm -hmm. because that's part of the problem is it's hard to give voice to it because of the threat, the intimidation factor, mm -hmm. the control factor. But you know someone who's connected mm -hmm. uh, to that issue. But yes, we, we started that program a few years after the INSPIRE program because of the need that was coming through the door. Mm -hmm. um, we, at 
at that time, Inspire was not set up to handle uh, families with you know with children. But then we started uh, just playing with the idea of getting something going, and it and it took off. And um, we there's been multiple families that we've helped over the years. Let's say we have somebody listening that's um, that's that's them. This is their life, and they live it. Whether they're uh, you know an older child or they're uh, you know the wife or the girlfriend or whoever, it's kind of daunting. Of okay, I know there's this thing that will help me. How do I how do I just go? How do I how do I make the jump? What would you say to that it, person? It takes some courage. It really, really does. And I'm not dismissive of that at all. But that step has to be taken. That decision has to be made. And if it's pretty severe, just go ahead and call 911. Mm-hmm. And the authorities will direct you to some resources in the area. There's also a national domestic violence hotline. I don't know it right off the top of my head, but it's... But you can also call 211, which mm-hmm. is the crisis hotline for, for Georgia, connects you to the United Way. Gotcha. But they'll help. And um, there are a number of shelters if someone is in immediate need. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get calls for several things. One is that, and we help as many situations where we'll provide a hotel stay for a night or two just to get them out of harm's way mm-hmm. and then start coming up with a plan mm-hmm. of next steps. Okay. But our program is really designed to be the next steps, where you're mm-hmm. you're ready to break away, you're out of crisis, and now the, I just need to restart my life. Being a uh, Gwinnett County local, what's one of your favorite hole in the wall places? Uh, you, you guys are kind of a hidden gem for a lot of people in our area, but uh, what's one of your favorite hidden gems in our area? It can be any category. Okay, well, let's talk about food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right up the street from us is Burger Fi on Duluth Highway. Great organic hamburgers. Also, right across the street is Poppy's Cuban Restaurant, which is tremendous. And then uh, off the hook, Seafood is right next to the Burger Fi location. And those are wonderful places that we frequent. One of the things that I, uh, as, as we're, we're talking about this, and I was as I was getting ready for um, coming here today, is I, I was thinking back to an incident in my life from uh, probably a decade ago, more than a decade ago now. Um, at the time, I was living in New Jersey, and I was commuting into New York City uh, one day a week and was out one morning uh, waiting for the train, and there was this guy that came up to me, and, you know, as I kind of start to describe the scene, everybody kind of, you you, are, you already know what the guy looks like. You know, it's this this guy, he's clearly, he's not on his way to work. Uh, he's there at the train station, and he approaches you, and he's, you know, asking for a couple bucks. He asked me for $4, which I thought was bizarre. You know, it's like, just mm-hmm. ask for money, he asked for $4. And I, I very rarely had cash, but I happened to have cash that day. And literally in a split moment, um, I was like, God owns it all. Like, all the money is his. We can argue whether or not it's good stewardship or whatever, but I was literally like, I almost never have cash. Somebody just came up to me asking for $4, and I have $4, and so I, I gave it to him. So I'm I'm literally, he's, he walks back into the train station where you, you buy the, the tickets, and I'm expecting to see him walk out of the doors into the parking lot to go get in somebody's car and drive off. Like five, six minutes later, he comes out of the train station, and I see him again. I'm like, oh, well, he really did get a ticket. So I went up to him and I said, um, I was just making small talk. I was not trying to get into a big discussion. 
And I said, where are you going? And he just looked at me and he said, uh, he said, honestly, I'm going to check myself into rehab this morning. Mm. And I like my jaw hit the floor. This mind you, this is like 6:50 AM. I'm sitting here and someone has just opened up their life to me. So we started, we started talking and your, your comment about the, the mental illness and part of why I asked um, was as we as we started talking, we probably only talked five or ten minutes, but um, he said his whole life, basically no one ever thinked he would achieve or accomplish anything, and almost like de facto, he resorted to never really achieving or accomplishing anything, and yeah. um, had gotten into uh, you know drug usage, and he said it was all traced back to. I don't really think I'm capable of anything because that's how his brain had been conditioned his whole life. As a little boy, that was what he grew up um, knowing. And um, so I, I share that just, one, because this is kind of the topic we're on, uh, but also uh, to, to Greg, your comment about there's everybody has this story. Mm-hmm. So that no longer becomes a guy at the train station. This becomes you know, a guy right. whose nickname is Junior. Yeah. And he has a story that would probably not be a whole lot different than my story if that's how I grew up. Listen, um, there is a backstory. There's not an excuse for bad behavior, but there's often an explanation. Mm. And if we took the time to look beyond the veneer of the behavior or the action uh, and looked really into what's driving this person, what's motivating this person, you'll probably find out some really significant reasons, and you'll go, okay, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, and if we took the time to, instead of judging someone, just having empathy and learning about their situation, it would, it would change our, our worldview. Mm-hmm. But getting up close and personal and getting proximity to these issues is, is key. Yeah. If somebody's listening and they're, you know, maybe don't have uh, – a whole lot of spare cash to, to donate to, or maybe they do, what are some ways that people can get involved in, in your operation? Well, for us, you know, it's what makes us so popular, uh, and thousands of people donate to us every week, use clothes, household items. We're basically taking, I'm not going to say your junk, but I'm going to say the things that you're not using <laughs> uh, anymore. We're taking your surplus, and, and it's very valuable to us so that's a very easy way just to kind of go through your stuff purge put together a bag of clothes Mm -hmm. uh, go through things your kids have outgrown or not wearing anymore we we will put it to good use you take furniture as well small furniture um, but there is another organization called restore which works with habitat for humanity right Uh, they're a great organization to give the bigger Okay. Bigger furniture. Items. Okay. Um, and people that are they're wanting to donate, uh, they need to bring stuff to one of your locations, or do you go and get it from them? Right. If you go to our website, which is inspireoutreach.org, and that's N S P I R E outreach.org, there is a link to get connected to uh, a clothing uh, pickup. Okay. Uh, so if you want to donate some goods, just give us a call. We'll schedule it. Bring yeah. a truck out and pick yeah. the things and that's up. that's what that's what our family has done. You, um, it just makes it easy. Uh, you schedule it, and uh, you know you put the stuff somewhere visible, front yeah. porch, you know, side. Garage. And it's tax deductible. Yeah. So it's a there's a lot of wins here. What would you like to see over the next next decade of this organization? Uh, what would you like to see happen? Well, one of the things that's really dear to my heart is this 
the criminal justice system mm. because this is one of the patterns. Uh, you know, we look at someone holding up a sign that says we'll work for food or, you know, and uh, it's a common reaction to just say, well, just go get a job. It's, it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. When someone has a, a criminal record, that's a barrier uh, to housing. Mm-hmm. That's a barrier to employment and a number of supportive services. So there's a lot of people that are leaving prisons and jails and they're virtually homeless and it's a real it's a real struggle to get back on their feet. So mm-hmm. I, we're working very closely with the Department of Corrections in Georgia with community supervision just to kind of create a pipeline when someone is leaving incarceration where we can be there to get them right in the pathway of mm-hmm. housing, employment. Um, so I think I mentioned to you that I'm also a state representative. The reason I got involved in the elected office is to try to change some of the laws and the policy regarding criminal records. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some, as the way the law sits now, if you plead guilty or no contest to a charge, it's on your, it's on your record for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Long after you've served the sentence, it follows you for the rest of your life. Well, I'd like to see some of these things change so that once someone has satisfied their sentence for nonviolent offenses, um, that that record is restricted and it doesn't continue to be a lifetime sentence yeah. for them because yeah. that is one of the contributors yeah. to homelessness. Yeah, because it's not, it's not just a lifetime sentence. It's a lifetime ceiling for a lot of these people. Exactly. Yeah. If somebody wants to uh, get involved, learn more about your organization, uh, how do they get in touch? Uh, where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. And, of course, our website is very thorough with information and connecting points. So that would be just a great start. There's email addresses. There's all of our social media links. So inspireoutreach.org. Okay. And that's, uh, again, N-S-P-I-R-E outreach.org. Is that correct. correct? That's right. Okay. Well, Greg, thanks for your time today. Continue to share uh, stories like this from our own community that uh, our listeners will, will plug in, get involved, and, and really start, we say, embracing the embrace life where you live, but embracing some of the people uh, around you. And we know that the best relationships that we will have in life are those shoulder-to-shoulder relationships where uh, we're standing next to each other doing, uh, doing good in our community. So we hope you'll get plugged in. And thanks for your time today. Thank you. This is the North Georgia Life Podcast. Embrace life where you live.